Hold on to your butts. <laughs> you were saying? Welcome to episode 115 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Tonight, I am joined by the guy who I think his wilder days are behind him, but not quite sure. I guess we'll find out. I'm just his uh, co-host named Mary from Canada. I can't think of anything more creative to say about myself. I suck at the intro. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely minty effort to say the least. Mary, what can I tell you? What's going on? How no, are you tonight? Um, not too much. We are under a tropical storm watch here in New England right now with Hurricane Lee. Um, just a few hundred miles off the coast of Cape Cod right now. So it's a little bit windy here. Uh, hopefully the power doesn't go out. But, you know, we're dealing with it and all that. Um, and we are here to obviously record another episode tonight. So to get us started, mm -hmm. I'm going to be a really awesome co-host and ask you before you start bitching about it. What are you drinking? Oh, my God. Thank you. I really I do. I actually do appreciate that. I really do. I'm drinking. It's called Elysian Contact Haze. And I'm drinking this, well, it's from a lesion. I don't know where that is, but I'm drinking it primarily because this is, we're going to have a, a talk tonight about some contact between the Union and Confederates, okay? Usually that's what we do talk about. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. And I am drinking it out of your Chickamauga mug, which I stole so I, I can talk about this. I I, yeah, so there you go. So I appreciate the effort. Thank you so much. And um, since I'm not going to forget, what are you drinking? I am drinking also from Elysian, or... Elysian Brewing, which I think is out of Seattle. Um, I'm drinking Altered Contact, and I'm drinking it out of uh, the North Civil War Champions mug. Because although, as we know, that the end result of the battle, Chickamauga, which we're going to be talking about the first day of that battle today, um, the Union doesn't win. But I think Minty and Wilder, the two that we're going to be talking about, they have a pretty good day here. So we can call them champions, I think, for all the hard fighting that they do on September 18th, 1863. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's very appropriate with doing this. I don't know if you know this, Mary, but the 860th anniversary of the Battle of Chickamauga is coming up on September 18th. Yes. But well, I thought the battle started on September 19th. What are you talking about? Well, that some places you huh. will still read that it is just a two-day battle. But in the last, I don't know if it's in the last maybe 15 years or so, maybe 20 years, that there has been this kind of change to get it into a three-day battle. And I've always been of the opinion that it is a three-day battle, especially after visiting there, especially after, you know, reading about it in stuff that Dave Powell has written, and most specifically in Holding the Line on the River of Death, which Eric Wittenberg wrote about what Minty and Wilder do. It is definitely a three-day battle, and to say that it's just mm -hmm. the 19th and, 19th and 20th of September 1863 is kind of like, it's like people who say that you know, the first day at Gettysburg was just like a squirmish. It, it's not. Mm -hmm. uh, and neither is what yeah. Minty and, and we're going to talk a lot about why, you know, what Minty and Wilder do here. It is definitely a battle. Like it's not a full, like not a full scale battle, but it is the first day of the battle. Of well, I mean, despite what you may have heard elsewhere, like you just said, Mary, for all intents and purposes, the, the battle of Chickamauga had started along the West Chickamauga Creek on September 18th, 1863. Thanks to, like the, you just said, the, the support of one Colonel Robert Minty and John T. Wilder. Now, you know, what they did, and we'll talk about this in detail, like you said, but what they did to slow Confederate General Braxton Bragg's Army of Tennessee down is nothing short of amazing. And, and although maybe not, maybe it's overlooked in a lot of cases, may, maybe it's safe to say that it's definitely underappreciated. Mm -hmm. And likely because at the end of the day, like you said, the Confederates actually win the, the primary battle. But before we get into the weeds of this, both literally and figuratively, Mary, 
we do have to turn back time a little bit. If I could turn up how, back time. How do I keep saying that? You, you always do that. But we have to set up how Bragg's army and the Union army under General William Rosecrans found themselves um, in the Catoosa and Walker County area of Georgia in September of 1863. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. You know, <clears throat> back in July 3rd, 1863, Mary, and heavily overshadowed by the battles of Gettysburg and Vicksburg, <clears throat> The Tullahoma campaign was ending. This two-plus-week campaign resulted in a Rosecrans chasing Bragg's army out of East Tennessee and to fall back towards Chattanooga on the Tennessee-Georgia border, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Abraham Lincoln, the guy we mentioned a lot, the guy with the, the, hat, guy with the hat we talked about, he wanted union control of the city of Chattanooga more than the Jets want a quarterback right now. That's how badly he wanted That's Chattanooga. That's pretty bad. That would be too right? soon for some Jets and Aaron oh, Rodgers you know, fans. I'm very sad. Very sad. Well, you know. he, and, I mean, if you look at the way that Lincoln wrote about Chattanooga, he writes a lot about it the way he wrote about Vicksburg and how important it was. Like, as we all know, he said that Vicksburg is the key. Well, after Vicksburg was captured, you know, Chattanooga is the next thing. But I think Lincoln always had Chattanooga in his mind. Because if you get Chattanooga you are basically you're opening the way into that southern heartland and chattanooga too anybody who's been there and been up on lookout mountain and looked down on the city Mm -hmm. you can see it's a railway hub it's surround like and there's also the river system it's you know it's kind of this area where if the union can get into it they're getting closer to atlanta which is their next big target as we all know after exactly i mean chattanooga is is a vital railroad hub and it and basically you know it controls Controlling that city, just like you said, really opens the door to that other vital railroad hub, like you just mentioned, the city of Atlanta, right? So Chattanooga is a huge manufacturing city in that Tennessee River. And Lincoln knew that if he controlled it, they'd have options, Mary. They'd have options, right? Jefferson Davis, I don't know if you know, he was a president of the Confederacy, Mary. He also wanted to control Chattanooga as well for the same reasons Lincoln did. But in the fact, the matter is, it was a huge manufacturing city for the South. Yeah, you gotta gotta have it, right? To that end, Davis knew that Braxton Bragg's army, which was a boot forty five thousand mm-hmm. men at that time, wasn't strong enough to beat Rosecrans, and who had a much larger army of around sixty thousand or so at the time. Mm-hmm. To help remedy that, Bragg is going to get some reinforcements and some big names as well to help strengthen him out, right? Yep. He's going to add 18,000 guys from the Department of East Tennessee under the command of Simon Bolivar Buckner. There is a problem, though, Mary. Like many people, Buckner hates Bragg Shocker. primarily because of his failure to take that home, his home state of Kentucky, where, mm-hmm. where, where Buckner was from. He didn't like the fact that there wasn't much of an effort by Bragg to hold Kentucky. Bragg now has about 70,000 guys, and it gave him confidence that he can maybe mount an offensive now against Rosecrans, despite the fact that Bragg was much more comfortable sitting on his hindquarters and letting Rose waiting for Rosecrans to come and take him and come hit him, right? Yep. Yeah, he's sitting there quite comfortably. And this is, you know, after Tullahoma has happened and he's kind of disappeared and Rosecrans is getting into a position where he's starting to get and there's a quote I have from this already later he's starting to get a little bit overconfident the one thing I do want to say though about the Tullahoma campaign is that there is something that happens in this campaign and it's involving technology the civil war and it's the Spencer repeaters this is where they start to be this is where they are utilized by um, Wilder's lightning brigade 
And it is this technology, the Spencer repeaters specifically, that are going to factor into um, what Wilder specifically is able to do on September 18th, 1863. And he mentions that a few times in his writings, and so do his men. But that's something that happens. That's an important part of the Tullahoma campaign that Mm -hmm. is factoring into, it, it factors in directly to what happens on September 18th, 1863. And I do have a little bit more to talk about John T. Wilder when we get to that. And I'll talk a little bit more about how those Spencers come into being with mm-hmm. his men. Yeah, well, t- the Spencer, we'll talk about that. And that was a big game change. But also joining Bragg's army would be one James Longstreet mm-hmm. Mary, fresh off the Gettysburg campaign where he and Robert E. Lee were on a break, right? <laughs> and, break. and so Longstreet's battle-tested you know, army, his corps, along with Buckner, is going to really give is going to give Bragg the tools he needed really the, to beat Rosecrans. Now, by mid August of eighteen sixty three, Rosecrans is beginning to move his army forward towards Chattanooga yeah. through that brutal Tennessee mountainous terrain. All that stuff we talked about, primarily because Henry Halleck back in Washington is telling him to get a step in and get moving. He's been doing he that. Like I feel fact- like Halleck's been doing that since, you know, January, since Stones River ended in January of 1863. He's been mm-hmm. telling, and Rosecrans, you know, if you read the writings of during the Tullahoma campaign and then during this time as well, you know, Halleck in one, you know, one part, he's like, you need to move. And then the other part, Rosecrans is like, well, if you want me to move, you need to let me do A, B, or C. And Halleck being Halleck, he doesn't always go forth with that. It's like when Rosecrans during the Tullahoma campaign says, I need mounted infantry because that's what Wilder wants to do. And Halleck is like, mounted infantry are useless. And Rosecrans is like, okay, well, I need you to give me the tools to be able to do what I need to do. I mean, Rosecrans, for the most part, what he wanted, he wanted to wait. He wanted to gain supplies, right? Mm-hmm. Before moving as in most, and most of Rosecrans subordinates agreed with him, except of course, his chase, chief of staff, uh, James Garfield, I mean, um, James Garfield, who was a Lincoln kiss ass who wanted to do whatever Washington <laughs> wanted to do. And he did. That is such a did. great way to describe Garfield because it's so funny when Garfield, like, early or like at there was a time when Garfield was not really for Lincoln and then all of a sudden like he just completely turns and he's like I am 100% for Lincoln now and yes as you said he becomes this Lincoln kind Lincoln ask oh he he definitely does he 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 definitely does but Rosecrans plan for the most part was he he wanted to deceive Bragg of Chattanooga using that that 21st Corps under Thomas Crittenden the 14th Corps under George Thomas and the 20th Corps under Alexander McCook along with Dave Stanley's cavalry, and they're all going to kind of come into Chattanooga from different directions. Yeah. Well, the reason why we're setting this up is because it sets up that future battle we're going to talk about. Yeah. you got to make sense. you got to know why you got what you got. And the reason that now, Rosecrans, too, I think I was thinking about this when I was researching for this episode, um, you know, the reason why he's using deception and feints and everything else is because that is essentially what he does a lot of in the Tullahoma campaign. Huh. And as we all know, it works. So he's like, well, this guy seems to fall for this kind of stuff. Let's try it again, you know? It did. It did. The train you mentioned, it took Rosecrans a full week to get to through the, to the Tennessee River because of this terrain. He finally basically begins to plan his plan of deception by using John T. Wilder's Lightning Brigade from the 14th Corps, right? Now, you know, Wilder is going to do things. He's going to pretend to build rafts. He's going to be pounding wood. All these mm-hmm. things that he's going to do to make the, the Rebs think they're building bridges to cross the river. This is north of Chattanooga. Yeah. He's going to also use his artillery commander, uh, Eli Lilly, 
and begins to bombard the city from a place called Stringer's Ridge. Now, mm -hmm. these actions are designed to fool Braxton Bragg into thinking Rosecrans was attacking Chattanooga from the north. Now, the thing about it, though, is, is Longstreet doesn't know that Bragg is reinforced. And if you're, if you're Rosecrans, you're thinking, okay, this is the guy I beat at Stones River. Yeah. I basically chased you out of Tallahoma without a shot, basically. Mm -hmm. He's thinking his confidence is low. So Bragg did get more reinforcements, 9,000 men from John Breckenridge and William T. Walker, who was nicknamed, of course, Shot Pouch Walker, we'll talk about. Now, Rosecrans' army was actually spread over 40, a 40-mile 40 radius yeah. uh, at this point. and was very, very vulnerable to attack. But the thing about it, Mary, is this deception worked. On September 9th of 1863, Braxton Bragg is, is going to evacuate the dance floor, as you yep. like to say, from Chattanooga without a fight. And he's going to move his army south along the Lafayette Road towards Lafayette, Georgia. So if you're a Rosecrans and you see this, you're under the impression that Bragg is completely beaten. He's completely demoralized after Tullahoma. And giving up Chattanooga with basically without a shot. And what else are you going to think of Rosecrans? Yeah, you're going to be gaining kind of that, the confidence you need. And when he does take Chattanooga, it is John T. Wilder's men who are in there first. And it's Crittenden who is the one that basically settles there. Um, but as you said, his men are, you know, out on this 45 mile, you know, front. And it, the soldiers and the officers, they know, they start to get kind of nervous about this, that like, well, this seems like, you know, it's kind of like the calm that we experienced yesterday before Hurricane Lee hit. It's very quiet. And it's like, what is coming towards no, us? I mean, What's going to happen? Rosecrans is thinking, though, he's, he's, this guy's no, no threat. Yeah. I can spare my army out. This guy's, this guy's in the fetal position somewhere. This, he's, he's not doing anything. But here's here's the thing about Bragg though, is he wasn't demoralized. No. And this is the great rope a dope of Braxton Bragg. He now has seventy thousand men, and he's already planning to attack Rosecrans, and he's going to show this this deception as well. And soon he's going to find out that Rosecrans is spread out over this forty yeah. mile range, and he's the one who's vulnerable. So figuring this Union commander would see Bragg as kind of a beat man was probably a little cocky. He is going to actually send some Rebs pretending to be deserters towards the Union line. And when they get there, of course, they're going to get caught. Yeah. He's going to describe how messed up Bragg's army is, how that they were completely in shambles. And of course, this was a complete lie designed to fool Rosecrans and make him attack, right? Yeah. And one guy who didn't fall for the ruse is of course, general George Thomas. Now yeah. the commander of the 14th Corps, Thomas, who's a wary wart. He mm -hmm. is right. I don't blame he, him. I mean, he, no, know. it just seems like this is almost too good. Yeah. Thomas warns Rosecrans. He's like, listen, don't chase Bragg. That's what he wants you to do. Yeah. We're too spread out. And naturally Rosecrans, of course, he doesn't care. He ignores him and he's going to order Alexander McCook across lookout mountain to break uh, Bragg's railroad supply at Resaca, Georgia. Yeah. So he's going to be continue to be aggressive. He also sends Thomas Crittenden to go south uh, of Chattanooga to go directly at Bragg, with George Thomas is going to head towards Lafayette. 
This is 20 miles south of Chattanooga where Bragg, where Bragg is encamped. Yeah. Okay, so strange things are afoot at the Circle K at this point, <laughs> Mary. Okay, just to say the least. And this is going to lead to some battles along the way. We're not going to talk about this. No, it's the like there's one Davis Crossroads, Crossroads September 10th and 11th, 1863, which Bragg thinks he's got the isolated, um, you know, cor- one of the Thomas's 14th. He thinks he's got guys. James Negley back. Yeah, he thinks he's got him. So he sends Hinman and Claiborne in there. Um, and there's shockingly communication issues. Uh, Claiborne doesn't arrive on the 10th. And then when Claiborne and Hidman finally are together on the 11th, they just, they don't attack. And this is basically going into the battle of Chickamauga. This is what's happening. There's all these like right. communication just, so you know, and everything else. Hidman and Claiborne had a three man to one, to yep. one ratio, uh, uh, you know, advantage on this. And, and he allowed Nagley to basically escape that Stevens Gap, which pissed off Bragg tremendously. Oh, Bragg is and like getting we, angrier we, and angrier as this goes on. But we on. talk a lot about, we, we, you know, we, we like to sing the praises of, of Patrick Claybert. But this was not here. a good day for old no. Patty Boy here. No. Okay. Rosecrans almost fell for the trap, though. He did. But he, he, but he realized basically that he has to concentrate all his men towards Chattanooga and attack in a full group to go forward i mean this he learned a lesson that he was spread out so he's gonna pull the con shell and try to try to bring everyone back to chattanooga the date is september 15th at this point yeah and bragg is going to hold a council of war I mean, he's good at that he does a lot of those yeah does he have he everybody to, in the room at the same time for this one? he's gonna mount he wants to mount an offensive towards chattanooga despite the fact that his intel is showing now that Rosecrans' army is all kind of going, concentrating out. They're not going to be as spread out that much longer. So it's it, it's time. He ain't got it. He knows he has to go quickly. By all accounts, his council of war was a tense one. No one likes each other. And at this meeting was D.H. Hill. He was Leonidas Polk, Simon Buckner, and Shot Pouch Walker. Oh, imagine a fun, fun-loving group. That must, that have, must been have been a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Because D.H. So Hill's Brad- hated by everybody. He, he, yeah, pretty much. But Bragg knows he has to move quick, and he wants to he wants to march right towards Chattanooga and turn Rosecrans' left flank and cut him off from his supply lines by getting between Rosecrans and the city of Chattanooga. Yeah. That's that's kind of what he wants to do. We'll talk about his detailed plans here in a little while. But also on 915, Rosecrans was beginning to formulate his plan, too. Yeah. He's going to order Colonel Robert Minty to report to Thomas Crittenden to replace Wilder's Lightning Brigade, who had just been sent off to Brigadier General Joseph Reynolds' division mm-hmm. in, in George Thomas's corps. So they're moving the chess pieces around. Yeah, well, they're point, going back right? to where they're like, I mean, right. Wilder is supposed to be under Reynolds, so that makes sense. And then Minty is part of the cavalry, so he gets kind of moved over to go in his place. Because, I mean, cavalry, mounted infantry, sort of the same thing. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, it, it depends, it depends. But Crittenden, in turn, is going to send Minty to a place called Pea Vine Creek Valley mm-hmm. and to cover his left flank. Now, upon arrival, Minty is going to set up his headquarters at a place called Peeler's Mill, is on the east bank of the West Chickamauga Creek, okay? Robert Horatio George Minty is his name, was actually born in County Mayo, Ireland on December 4th of 1831. He's seven with light brown hair and did not smoke and did not drink. That was his description, right? Minty's father and grandfather both fought with the British Army. 
His father, also named Robert, was promoted to lieutenant of the 1st West India Regiment in 1836, which consisted of mixed regiments, black and white soldiers, which meant, you know, they basically had to leave Ireland to go for the Caribbean. So they, they moved. His father is going to die in 1848 of yellow fever. Minty is going to take his father's commission. And, but after five years, he resigned. And guess where he moves to? Friggin' Ontario, yep. Canada. That's where he goes. He I lives about he, an hour away from my hometown yeah, in London, Ontario. I, I assumed he dragged his loved ones there because he liked Tim Cortons coffee. We don't know, but that's probably <laughs> what it was. But he, he gets a job at the Great Western Railroad Company. And in 1858, Minty was transferred to Michigan. And he's going to work for the Detroit and Milwaukee Railway. Minty now with his wife, Grace Ann, and daughter Anna, they found themselves now in the United States on the brink of the U.S. Civil War. Now, when the war starts, Minty's eager to sign up. And he's got, he's got a military background, mm. so he, he's interested in that. He will immediately be appointed lieutenant of the 2nd Michigan Cavalry. Later, he'll be a lieutenant colonel of the 3rd Michigan. And then soon later, he'll get the, the big chair, the colonel of the 4th Michigan. Two, three, four. He goes yep. right up the line. Okay. Minty was a fighter. And... Rosecrans loved him. After the Battle of Stones River in January in 1863, uh, and um, right at the beginning of the year, he, he's going to be leading his brigade on that saber charge at the retreating Confederates, right? In March of 1863, Rosecrans sends Minty to clear out some Rebs threatening federal supply lines mm -hmm. in Tennessee. And his men routed the Rebs. They killed 28 of them, captured 150 without firing a shot. His brigade's saber tactics, okay, became famous, and they earned the nickname the Saber Brigade. Yep. And Robert Minty quickly became one of Rosecrans' go-to guys, the apple of his eye. He looked at him like he was candy at this yep. point. He loved him, okay? Now, anyway, Minty at this point, go back to this, he's going to find himself along that West Chickamauga Creek, and what he does when he gets there is he sends out patrols yep. to, find, to look for rebel activity, right? And he's hearing these reports. Local citizens are telling him that the Confederate cavalry under Nathan Bedford Forrest, they were at Ringgold. He finds out John Pegram was at Leeds, Georgia. Simon Buckner was at Rock Creek, while Claiborne and Longstreet were in Dalton, Georgia. Yeah. So he's like, well, you got to be kidding me with Longstreet. this. Longstreet. This is where he starts to be like, has some, hmm. He has, he, has a, he has a pucker effect. Yeah, like what's, what, go, what's what going on here? I should probably let somebody know about this. Right. He realizes quickly, I don't have enough men to do this. Yeah. So what is he going to do? He's going to go to Rosecrans and say, can I please have a brigade of infantry to help join me here at, where this Reed's Bridge is on Chickamauga Creek? Minty's going to write about this. This is what he writes to, to Rosecrans. As I am situated, I may be forced to retreat at any moment. I wish, I, I wish this could be avoided. If I move on Ringgold, I'm liable to be attacked in the rear. If I have all my brigade here, I could guard the road and punish the rebels. Minty scouts are also confirming that this rumor that Longstreet was here was in fact there and not in Virginia. And that mm -hmm. this is going to be a big deal. Through all of this, Rosecrans is not sold on the fact the rebs are this powerful. He still looks at Bragg like he's a beaten guy. He does not believe for a yeah. second Longstreet. He does Longstreet back to Virginia. And he does definitely does not believe that Bragg has the balls to attack yeah. right now. He doesn't think he does. Crittenden even says when, you know, Minty goes to them to say that Longstreet is here, 
Crittenden is like, Longstreet is in Virginia. And then Minty replies, pardon me, General. Longstreet was at Dalton with two corps from yep. the Army of Northern Virginia. And, you know, the, Minty's guys aren't the only ones that are suspecting an attack. So are Wilder's guys. One of them wrote, um, we are now looking for the enemy to attack us at any time. So yep. they know, like, these guys are like, we're in the thick of this. This is what's happening. Yeah, by the night of the 15th, Mindy's, uh, Mindy's pickets are near Ringgold. They're going to be fired upon. And by the morning of the 16th, Minty and his men are becoming they're becoming pretty anxious at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting back nervously waiting for this attack that they knew could come. And like you said, at any time. Now, Rebel Cavalry is going to hit Minty's pickets along the Lafayette and Harrison roads, which is going to call, cause him to fall back a little bit to the western side of that pea vine ridge mm-hmm. just east of Reed's Bridge over the creek at this point. Now, becoming tired of waiting, what he, what Minty's going to do, he's going to send out 200 U.S. regulars under command of Lieutenant Joseph Hedges, Hodges to find the rebels. Minty tells them to press the infantry, charge into it, and bring out as many prisoners as you can. That's what he tells them. What happens? They catch 23 prisoners. Okay, they got somebody. Yep. They're sent back to Crittenden's headquarters at a place called Leon Gordon's Mills. Now, Crittenden was not impressed. He's still skeptical that this was rebel infantry. He kept saying that it's nothing more than dismounted cavalry. Yeah. To which Minty face palms and rode to the he-, he rode to headquarters to go meet with them. And Minty writes, this is about talking to Crittenden now. I did my best to convince him that Bragg was moving to the left and he'd be reinforced by Longstreet. He says to, to his response, Crittenden laughed at him. Longstreet, and he responds, like, like you just said, Longstreet's in Virginia, which he says, no, he's, he's in Dalton. Mm-hmm. This is where that conversation comes from. For whatever reason, Crittenden does not believe Minty. He it's, just doesn't believe him. It's a lot like Sherman with Appler at Shiloh, just in this denial of they're not there. You know, like when Sherman says to Appler, there's no rebels. Is like He's like, they're back in Corinth. They're not here. Yeah. And what's on the same day now, Bragg is sitting back and he's going to issue order special order 245, which detailed the initial battle plan. Okay. Um, Simon Buckner and shot pouch. They're going to, they're, they're going to take 16,000 men and they're going to march on the, at dawn on nine seventeen. mark the date nine seventeen mm-hmm. for P vine church and take position there. Leonidas Polk, he's got 13,000 guys. He's going to follow at eight o'clock in the morning and set up on Buckner's left on the banks of the West Chickamauga Creek at Glass Mill. Okay. D.H. Hill, he's got 9,000 guys. He's going to go to the gaps at a place called Pigeon Mountain and set up on Polk's left. The fun lover of Nathan Bedford Forrest <laughs> is going to be involved here. He's going to screen both Buckner and Polk's columns as they move north and capture those four crucial crossings of the Chickamauga Creek. This is Dalton's Ford, Alexander's Bridge, Reed's Bridge, and Byram's Ford. He's Last gonna... but not least, he's going to take control of the DQ and the Lafayette Road. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. Those are his orders. Forrest right is one of the most important jobs in this initial order from Bragg. And the, pro- the problem is, is here's the thing about, about Nick River Forrest, okay? He's a raider. Yeah. He's an attacker. He's not good at recon. And he's not good at scouting. Yeah. And that those are his flaws. And so he, he has to do this. But here's the bigger problem. He has not enough men. No. And so 
Forrest did a lot of different things, but the thing about this, if if, if Bragg's plan worked, okay, now we, we mentioned before they did well at Chickamauga. They won the battle, rah, rah, rah for yeah. the Confederacy, right? If this plan worked the way Bragg wanted it to, this would have been a route. This would have been a Chancellorsville for Bragg moment for him. And all, all the yeah. stuff you hear about Bragg now, he'd be looked upon as one of the greats because he he if he turned Rosecrans left flank, he blocked the army of the Cumberland supplies this from Chattanooga and then took Chattanooga. This would have been a fantastic plan. But the problem with this is it relied on time and it relied yeah. on speed. And with the terrain and without knowing what was ahead of him, this was Bragg's flaw. But you can't deny the plan, though. The plan no, was the, brilliant. The plan was good. Um, and then the one thing that we have also happening on the 17th is uh, Colonel John T. Wilder is going to get shifted to Alexander's Bridge, which is three miles downstream from Lee and Gordon's Mills, and it's one and a half miles upstream oh. from Reed's Bridge, which is where Minty is going to be located. Now, a little bit of background on John T. Wilder. Um, we've mentioned him in other episodes before. He's an interesting guy, just as interesting as Minty. Um, I know you and I were joking around about this, and like your favorite guy in this is Minty, and mine is Wilder. Definitely um, team Minty. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely team Wilder. Although I love Minty too. He does amazing things here as well. And he definitely has, as we're going to see, he definitely has a shittier day. Uh, not that Wilder doesn't. But a little bit on John T. Wilder. He's born in 1830 in Hunter Village, uh, Green County, New York. His grandfather and great-grandfather were both veterans of the American Revolution. And his great-grandfather was shot in the leg at the Battle of Bunker Hill. And his son, so Wilder's grandfather, is going to take his place in the battle line. Now, in 1849, Wilder leaves the fam family home in the Catskill Mountains, and he travels to Columbus, Ohio, of all places. And uh, this is against the wishes of his family, especially his father. But he's like, F it, I'm 19, I'm going away. You know, um, he apprentices as a draftsman, a pattern maker, a millwright, and a foundry for seven years. In 1857, he moves to Greensburg, Indiana, and establishes his own foundry. And he becomes quite successful in this. Um, you know, he's co-owner co of a very large foundry. He has um, six different um, mill, or he has mills in six different states. He's an authority on hydraulics, and he holds patents on a number of different inventions, which I find really cool. You know, everybody uh -huh. always mentions Abraham Lincoln and how amazing it is he holds a patent, which is great. That's awesome. We have a president that, that holds a patent. But there's a lot of other guys in the Civil War. Um, Wilder is one of them that holds well, Ambrose Burnside. Ambrose Burnside. Um, many different patents are held by them. Um, he marries Mary Jane Stewart uh, before the Civil War. And when the war breaks out, Wilder enlists as a private in the first independent artillery battery. And he equips this new battery with two cannons that had been cast in his own mills. Um, the unit ends up being designated as Company A of the 17th Indiana Volunteer Infantry. So he gets turned into infantry and he's elected as the company's captain. So he's a pretty popular figure. Um, a lot like Minty is. In June of 1861, he accepts a promotion to lieutenant colonel. Um, he's going to fight at Cheat Mountain. And this is really interesting. One story is that he was involved in the skirmish that um, John Augustine Washington, who we discussed in our, battle, our episode about Battle of Cheat Mountain, was killed in. And Wilder, one of the stories is that he apparently gives him a drink of water before he passes away. Um, uh -huh. And that's one of the stories that's mentioned in Wittenberg's books. Um, March 12th, 1862, he's promoted to Colonel of the 17th Indiana. He's involved in the advance on Corinth. 
May 30th, 1862, he contracts typhoid fever, which at the time, a lot of men or anybody that contracted it would have died from. Well, Wilder survives, but he's going to be afflicted with it for the rest of his life. Just bouts of, you know, sickness and not feeling well um, and all this other stuff. Once he returned to, um, to duty after he recovered from typhoid fever, he was at Fort Craig during the Battle of Munfordville in Kentucky on September 17th, 1862. Um, another significant thing happens on September 17th, 1862, Battle of uh-huh. Antietam. So uh, Wilder ends up being paroled and he marches to Louisville and then ends up being going back two months later. He's now in charge of a brigade um, in the part of, that are part of the 14th Corps in the Army of the Cumberland. And um, it's at this time, he says, I want to be mounted infantry. And he makes the switch to being mounted infantry. At first, they have mules, and they discover that mules don't work very well. So they manage to get, like, horses, all different kinds. They still have a few mules. It's whatever they can get at this time, right? So his guys are originally armed with Springfields and Enfields. Well, this is when Wilder, and I mean, Wilder seems to be pretty into technology, He's like, well, you know what? I want my guys to have Spencer repeaters. And the administration, being the administration, refuses to pay for them because it's like, well, we don't know how these are going to work, blah, blah, blah. So Wilder pays for them himself. Um, And he just believed in the technology. And his thoughts were, if the government would expend the large sums now used to induce men to enlist in arming the men now in the field with this kind of weapon... The rebellion would be, in my opinion, speedily crushed. So using this type of technology, Wilder believes, would end the Civil War quicker. So the administration, after you know Wilder proves that the, the Spencers are really great weapons for them to have, they finally pay him back for those. Um, Wilder, having mounted infantry, he basically has to come up with the tactics for it because it's not very common in the Union Army at this time. So he uses a combination of Hardy's tactics as well as some of his own's of of his own that he has to come up with um he always fights dismounted and he said he trained his command to hold their rapid fire until our opponents were within 300 yards um and they never failed to break their charge and if it was desirable to advance we did so at once and in a way that lost less men than we otherwise would have done and he's also attributing having the spencer repeaters for part of the success um with his mounted infantry they are going to earn the name the lightning brigade on June 24th, 1863, um, after they capture Hoover's Gap. And it is Rosecrans who is going to give them this name. Um, And he said he directed that the command should thereafter be known as Wilder's Lightning Brigade. And another interesting fact about Lightning Brigade, Eli Lilly, who you mentioned before, the artillerist, after the Civil War, he is going to go on to to found anybody who's heard of Eli Lilly Pharmaceutical Company. That's him. He's the founder of Lilly. You've got you've got two there. Robert Minty, he's he's more he's famous because he's one of the guys who captured Jefferson Davis at the end of the war. Yeah. And you've got Wilder, who you know the Augustus um, Washington story, the Augustus Washington story. So you've got two good guys on the field here. Now going back to Bragg's plan is his plan. His plan was so good that even his subordinates liked it. D. H. Hill, who didn't like him and didn't like really like anybody. No, he's going to write if Bragg unleashed this plan on the seventeenth. It would have been fatal to Rosecrans in the then huddled and confused groupings of his forces. So they realize that they're they're still spread out a little bit yeah. and there's still an opportunity, right? But the problem is this, is mm. Bragg, Bragg didn't on the 17th. Yeah. Instead of attacking, he decided to call another council of war. And then he begins to change his plan. He begins to doubt himself a little bit. He decided to keep Bushrod Johnson's division at Ringgold until the 18th 
to give him more time to rest. My yep. God. So the plan was now set to begin on September 18th, the next day, not the 17th, okay? Now, the night before, the night of the 17th, Bragg is going to give a rousing speech to his men. He's going to say, relying on your gallantry and patriotism, he has asked you to add the crowning glory to the wreath you wear. You have to, but yeah, you have to respond and assure us a glorious victory over an insolent foe. That's what he's going to say to his men, right? Wow. Now, on the Union side, Rosecrans army, they're, they're tense. Yeah. And the night of 917, David Stanley, the cavalry commander, he gets sick with the dysentery, Mary, and he yes. was he doesn't make he's still stuck in Alabama. Okay, and all his problems are behind him. Okay? I was just about to say that. And he also has these issues with James Garfield that, that are popping up, these, po- yeah. these political type issues. Now Rosecrans is going to spend the night basically playing soldier whack-a-mole. And what he's going to be doing, he's going to be shifting troops all over the place yeah. to deal with these rumors of these threats. He's moving guys here, moving guys there. He's nervous. He's nervous about Reed's Bridge as well as the reports of Longstreet being in the area. I mean, you can just imagine. Now, earlier that day, Rosecrans is going to call on John T. Wilder, and he's going to tell him to move to Alexander's Bridge. Like you, like you said, okay, this rickety wooden bridge over the Chickamauga Creek which is about three miles from his headquarters at Lee and Gordon's Mills and about one mile upstream from, from Reed's Bridge, yeah. where, where Minnie's going to be. What he's hoping is Wilder's men can help fill that gap between Minty's cavalry, his brigade, and Crittenden's left flank. That's kind of what he's hoping. Wilder's now going to have to defend Alexander's Bridge, and Minty was set up to defend Reed's Bridge. And that's, that's exactly what happens with yeah. this. Now, now, you mentioned Wilder. He's going to get to Alexander's Bridge, and he's going to report to, to General Thomas J. Wood. And he's going to say, I see a, pot, a whole bunch of dust rising from the area of a place called Napier's Gap, yeah. which is through the pine, uh, pine, pine, the pine Vine Ridge, okay? And which is about three miles away from their location at this time. And he's thinking, this is evidence that Bragg's going to attack. This, this is your friggin' evidence right yeah. here. Yeah. And he's going to write down... Um, and he's one of his one of his subordinates, a guy named Corporal William Records, twenty mm-hmm. seventh Indiana. He says it is now evidence that the enemy is moving to us in battle. He is reinforced by Longstreet with his veteran corps from Virginia. They knew they were in for it at this point, based on yeah. what they're seeing. Yeah. Did you? Um, Records also goes on to write that General Rosecrans has been so overconfident that McCook's, McCook's Corps has been detached and sent to Rome, Georgia. And now the great suspense is to stave off the great battle until that Corps of Veterans can be recalled. So even, you know, Records, this guy who's part, who's with Wilder, is even they're realizing like, oh, my God, like, even if we can't beat them, we have to hold Bragg back until Rosecrans can get this whole army back Uh here so there is this like these guys have known for a few days what is going to happen and you know men like Crittenden and some of the other corps um, commanders are ignoring the reports and even to Rosecrans to some extent is is being kind of like whatever you know it's not really until the 15th that he's like shit I'm in trouble yeah that that, that, that's a common thing with this you know Forrest Calvary you know he's along with John Pegram now you know they're reconnoitering that area and they're going to skirmish briefly with some of some of Minty's pickets uh, on that Peeler's uh, mill area. And at, at this point, Minty is going to begin to sort of fall back from his headquarters at Peeler's mill to Reed's Bridge. And he's going to leave a small picket line out there on the east side of Chickamauga Creek. 
Now, more and more dust is going to start to appear on the distance, telling that there's large truth movements. Of the, the weather is hot, it's dusty in, in, at this point. Um, all along, like you said, Crittenden is still sure this is only dismounted cavalry and not Bragg's main force of yeah. infantry for whatever reason. Now, it's clear to Minty and that he and Wilder are going to have to kind of go it alone for a little while, like you said, to kind of buy time. He's nervous, but he's happy Wilder is with him. He is. He's going to he's going to write. If I was in a tight place, I would rather have Wilder than any brigade in this army. So they, they're they're compadres here. Yeah. And, you know, and remember that that skirmish activity that Minty's guys talked about a little while ago at Ringgold we mentioned? Yeah. When Bragg hears about this. He's going to change his plan again. Yeah. And, and this is just before midnight on the 18th. He's going to hear about this. So now he wants Bushrod Johnson, his provisional division now, to head to Reed's Bridge and for Forrest to cover his flanks, which, again, Forrest is not used to doing. No. He's, used to, he's used to raiding. So now you know, Bragg's plan is supposed to begin early on the 18th. Which is again to rely on speed. That's what that's what it's yeah. supposed to do. The key places on his plan were Reed's and Alexander's bridges because due to that deep water in Chickamauga Creek, it offered the easiest and fastest way ticket for his army to get over it. And so what does that mean? Minty and Wilder are gonna have to defend these pivotal spots that yeah. next day to buy time for Rosecrans army to concentrate. So really what they're kind of doing is kind of just, it's just throwing up speed bumps. Yeah. A soldier from Indiana, he says, he says after the battle now, General Bragg had reckoned without considering Minty and Wilder with their splendid brigades of mounted men. So what he's basically saying was you didn't count on Minty and Wilder. No, and these guys, true. Minty and Wilder already have a reputation within the army of the Cumberland of being hard fighters of, you know, being able to get the job done. And I think their men, um, and especially Minty and Wilder, um, have been mentally preparing themselves for the fact that there is going to be a battle. There is going to be something happen, even though the powers that be, you know, they're kind of their bosses are like, nah, there's like, they're not worried about it. And I mean, no. you know, again, it goes back to like, I kept thinking of Shiloh and how Sherman had been and how he had been so dismissive of Appler and you're seeing something, the same thing happen here, except I think it's on a little bit of a larger scale that, and you know, just that whole, I can't imagine how Minty and Wilder felt when they came to that realization, Minty, especially that, oh my God, like the whole army is there. No one really believes what we're saying, but we know they're there because we can, you know, Minty writes of seeing the dust as well. And, you know, he also says that, um, the Confederate army was moving, not as Rosecrans supposed retreating, but advancing on his position to give battle. And he's writing, that's one of Minty's guys writing that. Even the men are realizing, like, shit, there's going to be a battle. And let's just real quick, for, for anybody who's not been at Chickamauga, when we're talking about Chickamauga Creek, we're not talking about Willoughby Run at Gettysburg no. or Bull Run, places you could walk over. We're talking basically a crooked and deep ravine in most places, it's over ten feet to get through, so you had to go over the. You, you had to. It was especially like if you go across. to Alexander's Bridge. Like if you look right. on, like the only way to get across, and it's still the same today, is across the bridge. You can't just be like, "Oh, I can't cross the bridge. Let me go down and just walk across the creek." You can't because the banks are extremely steep there, 
and the creek is uh, it's deceiving. It's it's very deep for a creek, and it's very fast flowing as well. It's a great defensive point. Reeds Bridge Road. It's going to cut through Peavine uh, Ridge. It's going to kind of create a choke point, in which which create a, a good defensive position and a great place for Minty to fight and buy time for the rest of that army to get into position to keep the bridge out of Bragg's hands. The whole thing is about fighting for the bridge. Alexander's Bridge, like you said, is defended by Wilder's Lightning Brigade. And the only way to cross that bridge in that area was to get over it. Because like you just said, it's deep. This during no other passes. The banks are, I think, in some cases, like 10 feet down, like steep down. You can't, like, you have to remember, you got to move your artillery. You have horses. You have right. wagons. You absolutely have to have a bridge to cross. No, exactly. And so, and that's just the way it was. Now, Wilder, he's going to place vedettes, Okay. Uh, up front to watch the enemy's movements, kind of in like Buford and Gettysburg, they're going to basically allow them to fight, fall back, and delay the enemy. It's called kind of covering force action is what it's really called militarily, which basically is you're trading time for space is kind of what it is. Yep. Minty, likewise, is going to also set up these vedettes. They're going to be set up in a – Minty's going to set up his in a six-mile radius using 500 of his 973 guys. Uh, likewise – they're going to do the same thing. They're going to fight and they're going to fall back as well. But they're going to be in some cases 50 yards apart from yeah. each other. We're not talking about a picket line. Some of the vedettes that are way out and spread wide, like an early warning system, kind of like but, but just with less guys, but they're going to fall back yeah. as well. Matter of fact, Minty and Wilder's vedettes are going to be spread over a 14-mile wide radius, mm -hmm. so spread out that when they, they actually linked up with each other, uh, north of Alexander's Bridge, kind of creating this wide early system of any rebel attack. And then they would fight and they would fall back. Using that many men also meant they had less guys back yeah. at the point of primary attack. So when the sun rose on 918, the stage was set. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was it was all set. It was Friday, September 18th, 1863. It was a cool morning. Um Minty remained again extremely nervous. He hasn't really he slept the night he before. He hasn't slept. He orders his men at four o'clock, and he's like in your horses, saddles, all that. Yeah, he does. Bushrod Johnson also is is telling his men around the same time to prepare four days worth of rations, and at the same time, you're going to break camp right around four o'clock in the morning. They're going to march towards Ringgold first, and then towards Leeds Tanyard, and then basically. What happens is this. Bushrod, remember I mentioned before he, he, uh, how Bragg changes plans yeah. right around midnight? Bushrod finds Bushrod's, out at like four in the morning. He's going to start. He's going to get three miles out, and then his cell phone's going to ring. Yeah. And he's going to find out this new change of plans. So now he's going to go back. And this is going to be a big issue because it's going to cost a couple hours. So for the most part, the latest change now has him going basically um, – to, to Reed's Bridge Road instead with Forrest as his escort, like yeah. we said before. So after crossing Reed's Bridge, they're going to basically go towards Lee's and Gordon's Mills to link up with Buckner and, and, yeah. and Walker. And at that point, what they would do is they would attack Crittenden at Lee and Gordon's Mills. Yeah. Now, the problem is this late night change of plans by, by Bragg, it delays everything because they have to backtrack three miles again. They do. So by six o'clock in the morning on the Union side, Minty has sent 100 troopers from the 4th U.S. Regulars to Leeds Tanyard and 100 troopers from the 4th Michigan 
in seven Pennsylvania towards Ringgold and then rode out to inspect these videttes himself. So he's going to check out the scenario. By seven o'clock in the morning, scouts are going to report the Rebs are close coming down that Ringgold and Lafayette roads. Yeah. So he knows they're coming. Johnson's division, Bushrod, is going to be led by the 17th Tennessee and a Colonel Watt Floyd. And he's in John Fulton's brigade. And this is the he's going to be the first to hit that Union picket line at the intersection of Reed's Bridge Road yep. and Three Notch Road. That's where they're going to hit, right? Three Union privates in this attack, Privates Ward, Strap, and Brennan, all from the 7th PA, they're going to be killed here. And this is going to be considered the first three deaths of the, of the full battle of Chickamauga. Yeah. They're going to get credit for that, right? So the 7th Pennsylvania, they're going to do what they're supposed to do, the dismounted cavalry. They're going to fall back in this delaying action designed to do it. Now, now Minty's guys don't have these Spencers, but they have carbines, yeah. okay? The breech loaders, okay? Um, they're going to have those. And so they're going to be able to do kind of what Buford did, mm-hmm. you know, with, with um, the ridges. Yeah. And they're going to fall back and... But they're going to shoot. And they're going to fall back. This action, just like it, just like it did with with Heath at Gettysburg, is going to significantly slow Johnson. Yeah, Johnson it also but, tires them out too. One of Johnson's yeah. guys, right? The one guy from the first Arkansas Mounted Infantry, writes like, "We would move along for a short distance and halt. And about time you were fairly sat down and got yourself in an easy position. The order would be given: fall in, forward, and then up again. Yeah. And it's this constant up and down, and you know, this guy from the first Arkansas, he admits this made us tired. Like it, yeah. it was tired. And, and keep in mind, this is after they've had to do that counter march. Like they've done a whole hell of a lot more walking than what they're supposed to have done. Yeah. I mean, J- James Thompson, third Tennessee, he says they, we proceeded a little, they fired a volley and began to retreat very stubbornly. And so you can, you can imagine because you fire one shot. Now they're getting into battle line. Yep. And so you could just see how it slows it down. By 10.45 in the morning now, Nathan Bedford Forrest and his 200 troopers, they're going to arrive to join Johnson's columns, and they're going to start to drive back Minty's guys. Now, the terrain, we haven't really talked too, too much about that. It's mostly tall undergrowth. It's not a place. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a lot of forest guys had to get off their horses and, and dismount because of how bad it was, and then literally chase Minty's guys. Now, Forrest made a huge mistake here. And he's made a few mistakes in, the, in this, not yeah. for nothing, but he does. Chickamauga is and, not a um, good uh, battle for right. Nathan Bedford Forrest. Instead of chasing these retreating Federals from Minty's guys, what he's going to do, he's going to fall back and he's going to have his men reinforce the infantry line is what he's going to do. So again, it's slowing everything down. Bushrod, he followed Forrest and his brigades, uh, uh, Brigade of Evander McNair, his Arkansas North Carolina guys. On the left with John Fulton's Tennessee's, uh, Tennessee men and John Gregg's Tennessee Brigade, including the seven Texas married, led by Hiram Granberry. Yeah. There you go, right? right Granberry. Uh, on the right, Jerome Robertson, his Texans, in the 3rd Arkansas from Hood's division are going to be in his rear. This is what they're going to have. Now, this terrain is going to slow that rebel line, which is going to basically allow Minty to continue to fall back on that main battle line at Reed's Bridge. So at this point, everything Minty's plan is is done. It's just working perfectly yeah. because what is he doing? He's slowing down the Confederates exactly. What he he knows he can't beat them, yeah. but he's he, he's taking they're taking the bait and they're going slow. Yeah, and so that, that's exactly what he does. So 
Um, and back at Reed's Bridge, he has two cannon that he uses to fire at Johnson to make his make him think his numbers are larger. Yeah. He's you know he's embellishing, probably drives a big car, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what he's doing. He wants him to think he's bigger than he really, really is. Yeah. All this, all of this slowed Bushrod down a few hours, and it, what it did is it threw off Bragg's timetable that he was so, so concerned about. It was all built on speed, yeah. timing, precision, and now they can't get out of their own way because of some from cavalry from Robert Minty at this point. Yeah, yeah, and they, and you know, meanwhile over at Alexander's Bridge, there's not much that happens until noon, like six thirty in the morning, when all this stuff is going on down at Reed's Bridge. You have General William um, H. T. Shot Pouch Walker and General um, Simon Bolivar Buckner. They've been ordered by Bragg to get moving. So yeah. Walker is to cross at either Alexander's Bridge or Byram's Ford, and Buckner was to cross at Bedford's Ford. And it took them forever to get going. Yeah. So again, this goes back to Bragg's whole thing where it's timing and knowing Bragg, he's very A-type, as we all know. If he's given an order and you need to be going at a certain time, you better make sure you are. If he finds out you're not, that's going to drive his like, you know, just him through like into a fit kind of thing. It is. And Minty's have I was like Minty's having still have a tough time falling back. Yeah. Right before we get to before we get to that, we gotta we gotta finish Minty here, right? Yeah. So he he basically is 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 falling back and he's doing what he comes. He he comes upon the house woman named Jemima Reed. Yes. At this point, and he begged her. He says, "Listen, you better get the hell out of here because this is gonna be a lot of trouble going on here." And she refuses to leave, and she's, she ends up watching the entire battle from her front yard. But it's about 11 o'clock in the morning now. Johnson's division is going to stop at Peeler's uh, Mill, and, the, and they're going to rest. They're going to take it. Just, just take a break. Calm down, okay? While there, a local farmer is going to say, hey, not for nothing, but um, there is a large Union force about a mile ahead. So you better get, a, you better get moving here. Yep. So here in this, the Rebs get all fired up. Soon later, a 10-year-old girl comes running up to them, and she's crying her eyes out. And she basically says some of Minty's men raided her family's home, stole all their food, stole their pigs, their chickens, everything. They stole them all. And when the soldiers heard this, they were like, oh, crap. They started to give her their food. And the girl turns the food down, and through her teary eyes, she says, no, no, you you, you keep that food to yourself. You eat it yourself. And you go on and you kill the last one of them. That's what she said. There's a wow. 10 year old girl. And the men are like, well, you don't got to tell us twice. That instantly fired them up and they became even more motivated. And as they're moving forward, they start to see the Union dead killed by forest men as they're walking by. And now they got piss and vinegar in their veins between hearing this girl's story and seeing these soldiers now. Yeah. These guys are fired up. The Rebs, what they're going to do is they're going to set up artillery now under the command of Felix Robertson, the son of, of Jerome Robertson, that we just talked about. And at this point, they've got about 7,000 total men. And at this point, they've completely developed Minty's line mm-hmm. that as they're approaching Reed's Bridge. So they're, they're, they're getting around all sides now. Now, Minty knew he was screwed. I mean, he knew he did. So he started on West Chickamauga Creek. And now he's on, he's going off Shit's Creek. That's exactly oh what he God. was going on. That's how Mint, that's how Minty sees this. Now, fortunately for him, okay, the road and the bridge, they're narrow leading up to it. And he has four artillery pieces now to slow the Rebs down east of this bridge. 
he knew he couldn't hold it, but he knew he could slow them down. Yeah. So what happens is he eventually retreats back over the bridge. Well, the 4th Pennsylvania in his old 4th Michigan, they're still on the east side of the bridge with just 700 guys. That's all they have. They couldn't stay long, but they pressed hard to slow them down. Now, right? Bushrod's right wing, they got within 200 yards of Reed's bridge for artillery under, um, under Griffin's battery. Yeah. Who had those four guns? They start firing, boom, 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 and they're going to basically stop them in their tracks. Now, all these Rebs are swarming all around now. Minty's going to order these Pennsylvania men and these Michigan guys into battle line. And they're going to, what's, what's he going to do? What is he famous for? His saber, right? Yep. He tells him to whip it out, the soldiers, the, the sabers, okay? And prepare to charge that 17 Tennessee right in your front. Take your sabers out and get ready to charge them. Well, John Fulton, the rebel com- brigade commander who the 17th fell under, he saw, he sees this getting ready to start. And he goes, whoa, 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 Scott, boy, <laughs> stop. Just stop right there. And while and, and while this is all going on, and, and and Minty's guys are holding their swords out, these sabers, the rest of his men are going across the bridge, across yeah. they, they, they're sneaking over. The fourth Michigan, they're gonna cover as, as these men are crossing over the creek. And then what they're gonna do is they're gonna jump in the creek and swim over yeah. to get across. Amazingly, they didn't lose one guy in this, wow. like one guy getting across, and they covered the full withdrawal of Minty's guys on the west side of the creek. Now, when the men cross, what does Minty do? He orders Ward Davis, those fourth U.S. regulars we talked about, yep. to start removing the planks off the bridge. Yep. And they start throwing them into the creek. Ah, screw you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not getting across this bridge. Minty then falls back and sets up a battle line on a high ground west of Chickamauga Creek, right? Yeah. This is just about noon now. Forrest is going to make it to Reed's Bridge, where he's going to make another mistake. See, what happens is he sees a small group of Minty's men about a half a mile south of the bridge. And, and what he does, he grabs a couple of the 17 Tennessee guys. Yeah. And he's going he's gonna to pull 600 guys. And he's going to say, boys, let's go get them. Let's get them shoes, right? It ends up being a wild goose chase because those Union men give him one of these and they escape across over. And Forrest didn't make it back to the bridge in time for that battle we just talked about. He'll spend the rest of that, the next little bit of time, kind of looking for weak points and crossings. Yeah. And the best part about this, for the Union side, Bragg at this point, has no clue that any of this is going no. on. He thinks Johnson, Bushrod, is just taking his friggin' sweet time. And he's getting more and more, you know, anger is, is rising. Like that meme, right? Yeah. That's what he's thinking. Despite seven to one odds, seven to one men, I mean, right? Yeah. Robert Minty is able to defend and slow Johnson's division of Reed's Bridge up to that point. And that's the amazing thing about this, is while this is all going on, we're going to change gears here. Mm-hmm. Johnson, he's going to basically order Johnson's men to, to keep moving. Yep. He tells he tells um, Buckner and, and, and Shot Pouch Walker, their division to get a stepping again, get moving. Now, it's funny, you know, Walker, they call him Shot Pouch, yep. right? Because he has so much lead. He kept getting shot. Yeah. And he said his body was like collected lead. The, the Civil War, I'll tell you right now, Grumble Jones, Shot Pouch, they had the best nicknames. They really, really did. But then there was the ones that the parents actually gave them, like Sterling A.M. Wood. Sterling A.M. Wood, States Rights Gist. Bushrod. Bushrod. Oh, probably a different one. But he had, some, <laughs> he had some great nicknames. You know, 
Walker, the thing about Walker, though, Shaw Pouch, he had some great subordinates. I mean, he yeah. he had an all-star. Didn't he have Liddell every, with him? He he had, well, he had St. John Liddell. Yeah. He had Daniel Govan. Yeah. He had Edmund Walthall. And these are, and, you know, Liddell, by the way, he mentioned before, he hated Bragg from West Point. Freaking oh, yeah. hated him. There was always that. But Walker's job was now to cross Alexander's Bridge or, or a place called Byram's Ford, which is a little bit downstream. Yeah. And and Buckner was going to go sell the place called Thatcher's Ford. But this this is where it gets interesting where, where you start to see this group now, who started a little bit later, now moving to the bridge a little bit south. Yeah. And this is like, so these are Wilder's guys and they've had it, you know, where like Minty has just had like, he's been at it since like four in the morning, been up, right? Not saying that Wilder's guys haven't, but they've had a pretty leisurely morning compared to Minty. So like 10 o'clock, um, the 72nd, the 72nd, or yeah, 72nd Indiana is on the south side of Chickamauga Creek and they're foraging for food or manning vedette posts. And anyway, some of Forest Calvary go by them and startle them. They're on their way to Reed's Bridge. And they, so Forest Calvary chased them for a little bit, but then very quickly, like these guys of the 72nd Indiana, they pull out their Spencer repeaters and just fire at them. And then Forest guys are just like, F it, we don't have time. And they continue on their way down to Reed's Bridge to where Minty is fighting. Um, so at noon, Alexander's Bridge, there's still not really any fighting going on. And at this point, most of the command is sitting down to have dinner or have their lunch. Um, one guy said, in our own mess, we had eggs and chickens and potatoes and had just got coffee poured and our stomachs fixed for a large square meal. When to our disgust, the bugle began to blow boots and saddles furiously and immediately blew fall in. We had only time to hastily swallow the coffee and gather our saddle and run. So all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, like we have to do battle. Um, and at this point, um, Wilder has sent some of his men down to um, help out Minty. And this includes some of Lily's guys. Uh, some of the 72nd Indiana are down there. So um, Wilder doesn't have as many men as what he started with. Right. And he's go he's got so he's got four guns left from Lily's artillery, and he's gonna place those in a very dominating position on a knoll near the log house of the Alexander family, four hundred yards southwest and overlooking Alexander's bridge. I mean, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Yeah. So he's he sends men to help Minty. He's left with the seventeenth Indiana, the ninetieth Illinois, yeah. and four guns. Oh, have a nice day. And you could hear you could hear the battle going on. Yeah. And, and you know the 17th Indiana, they're guarding they're guarding Dyer's Ford with that 98th Illinois on the left at that Red House Brett, the Red House Road thing, yeah. uh, the bridge. The 98th is going to skirmish with with cavalry from John Scott, so they're going to start to get into it there. And many of those those 98th um, those 98th Illinois guys are going to get captured here. And guess where they're going to go? They're going to go to Andersonville. Yeah. That's where they got sent. Bring Anderson, right? Yeah. There you go. So um, and more of Wilder's men are going to get pulled upstream at this point to yeah. help assist Minty because that what else are you going to do? So Wilder has less than two full regiments and just those four guns at this point to defend this Alexander's Bridge when Walker, who was pissed off at this point because he was not told you have to fight for this bridge. He was in the understanding he was going to walk right across mm -hmm. like freaking prom queen or something. <laughs> but he's thinking, so, so he, he's going to have to fight. Walker is finally going to show up now. He's going to approach the bridge, like you said, right around noon. Yeah. He has 4,000 men from Liddell's division in his front, yeah. right? And he's in, in so the um, one of the Union guys, he writes about this. 
the rebels came at us so sudden we hadn't had time to mount our horses. So they came on pretty quick against, ironically, the Lightning Brigade. Wilder's men, they're going to quickly get in line over that bridge with that 72nd Indiana and the 17th dismounted Indiana, right? Yeah. Company A of the 72nd Indiana, what are they going to do again? They're going to start tearing up those planks. They're going to start destroying the bridges. Yeah. And they're going to use them not to throw in the creek this time. They're going to use them to build a lunette. Yeah, that's that's what's so badass about these guys is they like they're just like, well, we'll build a lunette, and it makes the bridge completely impassable. But the thing you mentioned before, the difference maker in this is these Spencers, right? Yes, the Spencers. Yeah. It's all, I don't want to say it's almost like a seven to one advantage, but for the most part, it, it balances off that huge difference in numbers. So by two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, a shot pouch walker, he orders Liddell to take that bridge with Daniel Govan in support. If Go practical. Do it. If practical. Liddell orders the brigade of Edward Walthall, those Mississippians, forward to go ahead and you know, go in the lead. Go take it. Walthall's brigade, their motto was first in, last out. Yeah. That was their motto, right? And, and they move forward through that underbrush towards the bridge. And many of the 27th and that 24th Mississippi they double quick, hauled ass, ran full speed, and somehow they got confused and lost. And I don't know what the hell happened, but they kind of got mixed up a little bit. Only two companies of the 27th of Mississippi actually made it to Wilder's line, right? Daniel Govan, for you know, from you know, he followed, and for the many, it was their first experience dealing with these Spencers. One of Govan's men, he's gonna say about this: those treacherous Yankees now have a gun. They can load on Sunday and shoot all week. Yeah, you hear that quote. That quote once in a while, it comes from here. That's where it came from. And the assault on Alexander's Bridge is finally underway, while the sounds up the creek at Reed's Bridge are going on. Yeah, yeah. And the the, re, the at this point, the fighting at Reed's Bridge is slowly starting to wind down. Um, by this point. Wilder or Minty's men have been engaged for it's going to be at the end of the fighting 10 hours of fighting. yeah it's going to go on and on I mean you, Lily's battery they're here too yeah those four guns they're going to open up on the Rebs as they approach that bridge so those Confederates they start to unlimber artillery themselves so their own command by William Fowler and Henry Shannon and they're going to try to quiet those guns by Lily so, and, and who's, who's basically ripping this you this rebel lines to shreds yeah. It's the Spencers and the accuracy of Lily's artillery. They were cutting up Walthall's men in front in that back and forth artillery. Boom, boom, boom. It was ended up burning down that log cab, the cabin of yep. that house, the Alexanders, caught on fire. But the Rebs were dealing with this, this horrible ground and started to fall back because these Spencers, you know, seven shots, right? Regiments of Walthall's brigade, the 30th, the 34th Mississippi. They're going to move across a road into an open field, and they're going to uh, make a right angle about 200 yards from this bridge at this point. Sergeant David Childers of the 34th Mississippi, he writes, We charged through an open field, shot and shell, grape and ball coming in among us. Many a brave man bit the dust. That was a phrase you said. Yeah. But while those Lightning Brigade, they'd repulse those two assaults by Walthall, but eventually the Rebs are going to get around that Union flank and begin stealing and shooting the Union horses, which is going to force that 72nd Indiana to, I mean, to fall back now. So Walthall finally gave up trying to take the bridge. The hell with this. Yep. He's, going move, he's going to move down to Byram's Four, which is about a mile and a half below it. Yeah, and he's going to end up crossing there 
and getting across. He is, and Walker is going to discover what the hell happened to the freaking bridge. He's going to realize that it's been torn up. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring his division up also to Byram's Ford and get and going to basically flank and get behind Wilder's men at this point. Yep. And that's and when this is, that's around three o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when Wilder figures right. out there's a strong force in my Savannah right, right. now. Right. Exactly. But you know what this is going to do too? Remember Simon Buckner was, was following. Yep. This is going to slow him down. All this action at Alexander's bridge is going to slow him down. And Buckner is going to cross unguarded at Dalton's Ford at about 2 PM. And he's going to get there and he's going to have his arms folded. And he's going to have to wait for Walker. Yeah. So when he gets across, he, he luckiest guy on the damn planet gets, gets right across a Dalton's Ford and he's waiting for Walker to, to get to their meeting point and Walker's not there. And meanwhile, now, Bragg Bra- is getting angrier. Yeah. And Bra- Bragg is getting angrier and angrier. Like when I take the last beer out of the fridge, now look. That angry look. That's the look that he probably No, that's had. when you take my, my the beer that I wanted to have. Or if I take your chicken log and Just saying, right? Now, Bragg at this point, he's, he's sick of the delays. He's sick of it. He's going to message both Buckner and Walker and say, listen, hurry the F up. I want the entire army across the creek by 7.30 p.m. That's when you better, you better get there by yeah. 7.30. And earlier in the day, about 12.30, while well, this is all going on, Rosecrans is going to get a word from James Garfield that Minty was heavily engaged at Reed's Bridge, and the commanding general, Rosecrans, finally understood, finally, like we said before, he always didn't take it seriously. He finally realized that this was getting real, and he hoped, beyond all hope, that Minty could hold out long enough for him to shift a lot of his men down to stop those Confederates. And Two o'clock, Bushrod Johnson, is he's about to launch that direct assault on Reed's Bridge yeah. using John Fultz's brigade, was coming straight down that road towards the bridge, right? And I mentioned before, Minty had set up on that high ground just west of the creek. Yeah. And he's firing at the Rebs, and he's holding them in check for two hours at this point, just keeping them at bay. At 4 p.m., the Rebs finally use artillery over the creek um, at Minty, basically to stop him. They just finally did. Yeah. What's Nathan Forrest doing at this point? He's still dicking around, right? He wants Fulton to spend to send some of his men who in the 17 Tennessee under Watt Floyd on his left to go around Minty's flank and Fulton order the rest of the 17th as well as troops from the 23rd Tennessee to rush across the bridge. So they're finally done messing with this. Yeah. The planks are gone, but they're still getting across somehow. They get across. They're followed by the 44th, the 25th, and the rest of the 23rd Tennessee. And they all charged and drove Minty's men who were trying to finish off destroying Reed's Bridge. They just chased them off. They yeah. flew right by him. Now, Minty, like we said before, they didn't have the benefit of having these Spencers like like, no. um, like uh, the rest of them did. But they had those carbines. And so they basically they, they did they could to fall back. But they did fall back as the Rebs basically continued to push them back. And the Rebs started to fix the bridge. They fished the, yeah. the planks out of the water, and they started to rebuild the bridge. And then Forrest is going to place men of the 23rd Tennessee in line, and they begin to attack the federal guns, those lily guns that were driving, that were causing all this pain in the ass in what yeah. they were doing. Um, and what, what Minty chooses to do is he, just, he doesn't want to counterattack, so he knows yeah. he can't. He's going to fall back again. He's going to basically set up. Now, this is an interesting story here, too. 
when Minty's falling back at this point, some old woman, some rebel lady yep. comes out to him, starts yelling at him. And she's yelling, your Yankees are running. Our, our army is coming as Minty's men are going by. And she's just running her mouth. Well, I mentioned before some of the Confederate artillery was firing, right? Moments later, artillery from a guy named Hiram Bledsoe, Confederate Missouri Battery, they're firing canister at Minty's guys. Guess what happens? The old lady gets killed by the, by the rebel canister, oh cuts her God. in half. Oh, God. So, so the, Re- so the Rebs um, end up, when Minty's guys fall back, the Rebs take her mutilated body, which it sounds like it was in pieces, and oh. put it on her front step. And Minty, he wrote about this later on. He said he always regretted not telling that woman to get back into her house. He just let her bitch. Uh. And, and he said he was always sad. What He never knew what happened to her children. It always, it always made him sad. Oh, about what happened with that. But the Rebs now, they get their free run across Reed's Bridge. Yep. A bunch of them are starting to yell because guess why they're all cheering? Guess who's crossing Reed's Bridge? John Bell Hood. Yeah. John Bell Hood. Yeah, oh he, my God. Yeah, John he comes Bellhood. back and he's still got his like, his arm is in the sling from his injury at Gettysburg. Um, but he makes an appearance and um, he said, remember boys, we were here to whip them. Um, yeah, so he makes this appearance and his men get all like fired up by it and all this other stuff. And Yeah, but you know what happened? <laughs> John Bell being John Bell Hood. Yeah. He gets across. He takes over command from Bushrod Johnson at this point. And guess what he does? He takes credit by driving Minter's men back. He takes the credit for it. That's that <laughs> must have pissed Bushrod off so much. I don't. I don't know. But you know, Forrest is going to. He'll have an escort. He's going to ride ahead. Yeah. And he's going to find some of Minty's guys basically forming at the edge of a woodlot in front of an open field, which led them to fall back again. Minty, for the most part, he's going to fall back around five p.m. at this point. And what's interesting, what's really cool about this, there was a, a captain. His name was Joseph Vale of the Seventh Pennsylvania Cavalry. He um he saw Wilder's men get pushed back and the Rebs getting over Alexander's Bridge, right? Van was going to report to General Thomas J. Wood, and he's going to go up to him and say that we were attacked at 7 o'clock in the morning and been fighting for three hours. And Wood says, um, do you know what time it is? The guy, Vail, goes, no. He goes, it's 5 p.m. 10 hours. He goes, three hours? You've been fighting for over eight hours. Yeah. And that that's um, that's an interesting, you know, just, just one of those things. That shows how hard these guys fought here. Yeah, and in reality, it was they had started fighting at, you know, I think it, it turned out to be 10 hours total that they were fighting. Mm-hmm. They'd start at like six or seven in the morning and they fought till about five. And, you know, like you said, it's General Hood that is going to lead this, the way off the bridge and take credit. Um, but Minty, you know, what he does here does, and yes, he, he know, I think it's kind of like, you have to think about it. Um, like Lou Wallace at Monocacy, both Minty and Wilder are going into this knowing we're not going to be able to annihilate Bragg's army. We're not going to be able to, you know, completely stop them, but we can slow them down to basically keep the army of the Cumberland from annihilation by Bragg's army, but also to allow them to get back so that we are in a better position to fight on September the 19th. Yeah. Bushrod is finally going to get to message Bragg and let him know that they were all finally over the bridge. I'm sure Bragg was there, super happy. You know, and Bragg, Bragg, what he does, he orders Leonidas Polk to go in. Um, and then, But the thing about it, though, is this is hours later than they expected. And this is yeah. all thanks to Minty and Wilder. Minty would later say, "This is he said this app was to his men. He said, with 973 men, the 1st Brigade had disputed the advance of 7,000 rebels 
from 7 a.m. until 5 p.m. And at the end of that time, had fallen back only five miles. 102 rebel graves at Reed's Bridge attest to the effectiveness of our resistance at this point. So a little victory lap there for him. Yep. No, and he absolutely deserves it. And like they end up, um, so they end up managed to hold that, hold long enough for Rosecrans to bring back. I think it's McCook is the furthest one away, bring him back. Um, but then what happens is a mile and a half from Lee and Gordon's mill is Minty ends up finding Wilder and his lightning brigade. And they're in a line of battle facing the Northeast and Minty's going to deploy his troops to the right of Wilder. And they, along with two regiments of infantry, filled the gap between Minty and Wilder and hold the left flank of the Army of the Cumberland's position near the Lafayette Road. And they end up building some pretty crude breastworks because they know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so when we said Wilder, you know, late, late in the afternoon, Wilder likewise, he's got troops in yeah. his rear. He'll message to Rosecrans and say that, look, we have, you know, uh, we have to fall back. You know, that slow uh, shot pouch walkers guys had finally gotten around him. And then he was basically told to withdraw back to Gordon's Mills. Yeah, right? going back to where General Wood is. And, um, you know, like I, I said, that's where he um, that's where Minty is going to find him um, is with General Wood's guys. Mm-hmm. And um, Minty goes to see General Wood and Wood is surprised to see him and says, I thought you got captured. And Wilder's like, here I am <laughs> fighting for yeah. 10 goddamn hours. Here I am. And Wood and Minty go out to see Wilder and Wood asked where the Confederates were. And right at that time, they just, the Confederates just open up this volley right in front of Wilder's guys. And Wood says one thing and it's by God, they are here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when Wood is one of these core command or Wood is one of these guys um, that is, has, I think was doubting the reports as well that that minty was minty especially was sending in saying long streets here they're they're amassing there's going to be a big battle um and there was some fighting that night by hood's men um and they give the rebel yell they can hear them doing that but it gets blunted again by minty and wilder's guys i can't imagine how tired they are especially um minty's guys they've gone through already 10 hours of fighting um and bushrod believed from the noise that came from minty and wilder's guys that the whole Yankee army was in our front, and he just halts the attack. By by he does. Guys. I mean, and, I mean, 105 rebels were killed at Alexander's Bridge. Yeah, primarily thanks to those Spencer repeating rifles. Amazingly, Wilder only lost one guy, a guy named Private Jonathan Tuggle from 98th Illinois, and he was killed during that withdrawal. Um, and there, a lot of the Rebs afterwards at Alexander's Bridge. They also chalked up Wilder's effort to that Spencer. That's mm-hmm. what they did. John uh, St. John Liddell, he said, I can only account for the dis- disproportion from the efficiency of this new weapon. And Walker, you know, he chalked it up, you know, saying, his, giving credit to his men too. He said, how well I remember your defense at the line of Chickamauga Creek on that dusty Friday for the great battle was joined when both armies were sweeping towards the goal of strife, Chattanooga. So for the most part, he said, your thin line opposed two Grand Army Corps struggling to hold them back when General Thomas would come. And so he's he's telling his men, it's not just the rifles, it was the, the stones you guys carried, yeah. which is true. Both Minty and Wilder, for the most part, they were able to hold off Bragg's army all day and cause them to change his plan and allow William Rosecrans to bring up his army 
which would result in the next two days of the Battle of Chickamauga. But it denied Bragg that that slam dunk victory. signature it, yeah. victory that which, he certainly would have had. It would have destroyed did. the Army of the Cumberland in a way that would have dropped morale so much in the north. You know, now it's not great that Chickamauga is not a victory for the Union Army and for Rosecrans, but... You know, I guess you could say at least at the end of the day on the 20th, they are sitting in Chickamauga, they are holding the city, and they will hold it, and they'll win it in the battles for Chattanooga that are fought a couple months later in November of 1863. Right, right. But if things went according to plan, yeah. which of course, you know, is whatever, not going to always happen, how does history change? Bragg, I mean, what Minty and Wilder did, it allowed the Army of the Cumberland, it allowed Rosecrans, Thomas, all of them to get into Chattanooga. Whereas if he got across, if Minty and Wilder were not there, did not defend it as tightly as they could, he could have got between Rosecrans and the, and the city. He could have cut the supply lines from your Cumberland. He could have beat them in detail. He could have busted them all. And how does that change history with Bragg? Yeah. Maybe, you know, as far as his own personal, because he needed that victory like plasma at that point. Yeah. Everything bad going for him, he had redemption. He wins that battle, but his reputation doesn't get any better. All because they couldn't get over the Alexander Bridge and Reed's Bridge because of these two guys. Yep. And it just shows it just shows how history can change. You don't want to say you got lucky, but you, you're at the right place at the right time. You have a yep. good battle plan. A good battle plan can overcome a lot. And a bad battle plan can really hurt you. If Bragg attacked on the 17th instead of the 18th, he would have rolled right through them. Oh, yeah, because Wilder one day, wasn't have been set up at Alexander's Bridge. And this is just why it's so important to study this September 18th, 1863 at Chickamauga. Because yeah. when you do, you it really, it's like you kind of, I mean, for me anyway, it was that moment of, oh, my God, these guys have done something that doesn't get talked about enough. And I mean, mm -hmm. not to put Buford down at Gettysburg. Buford does amazing things at Gettysburg with his delay tactics on that July 1st, 1863. But I think what Wilder and Minty do here, especially Minty, is they have a little bit of a harder job, especially Minty, with 10 hours of fighting, mm -hmm. with just this, like, you know, it's... And they know, too. I think they know, like, from an emotional standpoint, from a mental standpoint, they have to, because no one's been believing them. No one's been believing Minty, mm -hmm. especially... Minty's been telling them for a few days... It's Longstreet and Crittenden's like, he's not here. He's back in Virginia because, you know, right. and Crittenden's going on, on reports from Washington, which is like, okay, so you're going on reports from Washington, which it's in Washington, D.C., which is hundreds of miles away from Chattanooga. And you don't believe the guy that has, you know, he has evidence that it's Longstreet. And, you know, it's just like when you study this, it's. Um, it's one of the more, I think, underrated uh, battles or one of the you know parts of Chickamauga that doesn't get studied enough that is one of those, if it had gone the other way, mm -hmm. how does that change the rest well, of it's the a bigger, war? Well, it's a bigger version of what Buford did at Gettysburg. Is yes, it. yeah. But you can, you can sit there and say, what if, what if Bragg doesn't send Bushrod back to Ringgold on the 17th to rest up for one day? Yeah. He sends him in like he wanted to do. I think Bragg, unfortunately, is his own worst enemy sometimes. But in this oh, yeah, case, he certainly was. Yeah. It doesn't change. It doesn't change the battle. But like Chancellorsville, the Union escapes. It, it's a Confederate victory, but the Union lives a fight another day. 
if they were one day earlier or if Minty and Wilder didn't do their thing, there may have never been a battle of Chattanooga. No. That might have been it right yeah. there. Yeah, that might have been just – and who knows what happens with like – does Chattanooga fall into the hands of the Rebels again? Probably because Rosecrans it probably, probably retreats way back into Tennessee again towards Oklahoma. I mean, Tullahoma. you could sit there and you could sit there and say, "With the Army of Cumberland destroyed, Knoxville's going to fall. Yep. Nashville might fall again. How does that change history with going forward with Sherman and and, and everything that happened to that? That's why the, that's why Minty Wilder are important because what it did. It's it's just one of those battles and one of those examples in history that. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes on fourth and ten you connect, and that's what happened here. Yeah. But it wasn't just luck; it was skill because you had the Spencers, you had those vedettes, you had a good battle plan, you had good terrain to fight defensively, and you had those bridges, and you had guys with balls who knew how to do it. Yeah, and you it. had two really good leaders in Minty and Wilder, and it all comes. Sometimes it comes down too to the leaders you have that they were able to you know, inspire their men, their men trusted them. Obviously, you know, we know that from Wilder on the Tullahoma campaign, that one raid he did with Hoover's Gap, Lightning Brigade, like that's going to give you, you know, a morale boost right there that you're part of this thing that your commanding general Rosecrans has said you're the Lightning Brigade, you know, yeah. um, and, and Minty's guys had done, as you said, like at Stones River. So both these guys, Minty and Wilder have had success with their men, prior to this going into this battle, which is going mm-hmm. to ultimately lead to their success here as well. That was no doubt. So it, it leads into the battle of Chickamauga, which, which is one of the bigger battles that we'll talk about, but, but like anything, but for people who think that Chickamauga is just the 19th and 20th of September, you really got to look at the 18th because I think most people realize it is a three day battle. Um, and that first day really sets up the second look as how history would have changed. So what's, yep. We could draw, I guess we could drop it there. So yeah. what's coming up next for us? Well, one more thing I want to say is the night, oh, of, okay. night of the 18th, when these soldiers go to sleep, it gets really cold. Um, one guy said the fourth from the 4th Michigan, such a cold night is seldom felt at home in September. This is a Michigan guy saying this, and he's down near Georgia, and it gets super cold. Um, and 4th U.S. Cavalry uh, trooper said, there we remained all night in the line of battle as infantry, a night never to be forgotten by the men who shivered and shook until daylight. And these are guys that are going to wake up again and do it all like, you yep. know, more we'll fighting on the again. 19th. So um, this is our episode for the 160th anniversary of Chickamauga, which is happening uh, September 18th, 19th and 20th. This episode will obviously drop before then. So um, if you can't be at Chickamauga, definitely check out their YouTube channel because they usually do some live streams um, for that. Um, so check that out. And uh, like we said, what Minty and Wilder did here is you know nothing short of remarkable and it's one of those uh not as it should be studied more when it comes to civil war so if you've looked at buford at gettysburg and you really think what he did is amazing take a look at um minty and wilder um Mm -hmm. because it's equally just as important and amazing as what buford does at gettysburg absolutely and if you do go to chickamauga you can you can go see our friend ed lowe who yeah. runs a Chickamauga Chattanooga roundtable, and you can tell him, I said, go Patriots. You see him. <laughs> tell him we said hello. And, All right. So. And you can also go down to Alexander's Bridge, which we've both been to and worth going to because it'll give you a good visual uh, for what, you know, what the creek is like. And then we've never, we have not been to Reed's Bridge. We're going to go next time, but you can go there. You can go to Reed's Bridge as well. So it'll give you an idea of where they were fighting. So um, oh. next up for us, we are having our book club meeting. Um, 
on September 28th, 7 o'clock via Zoom. Craig Simmons will be joining us, who is the author of Stonewall of the West, a biography about Patrick Claiborne. So uh, civilwarbreakfastclub at gmail.com if you'd like to attend. Um, and then we have other book club dates to announce as well. Lisa Samia is going to be joining us to um, answer questions about her latest poetry book. And our final book club of the year will be in November, and we will be joined by Tom Huntington, author of Main Roads to Gettysburg, uh, to talk about that book. So we will be back with you all soon with another episode. Um, we are going to be doing our hep- our Halloween episode in October again, around Halloween, with uh, our friend Jen Price as well to talk uh, ghost stories and Civil War again. So that's yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to that. Our friend Jen Vincent Price, she'll yeah. be making her um making her third appearance no, her on fourth. our Halloween yeah, fourth one fourth appearance. It's our fourth Halloween episode. Holy crap! Yeah. Fourth one. Yeah, our Halloween spectacular. So all right, so we'll look forward to that. a lot of fun stuff coming down the creek. So any final words from you, Finchero? No, thanks uh, for bringing it like you always do, and for enduring my horrendous intro i don't know why you have me do those you should just do them all the time but anyway um thank you to all our listeners for your support for these 115 episodes we couldn't do it without you guys we will probably be back with you uh, next week with another evening edition of our youtube live stream oh and quick reminder um next friday we will be doing uh, cocktails and cannonballs with the Civil War Museum in Harris, with the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Uh, details yeah. on our Facebook we'll be... page about that. So we will be doing trivia, and I think we're going to be emceeing some of the event too. So we'll be emceeing some of the event. We'll be doing trivia. So come on by in Harrisburg. You get to see a lot of cool people. Uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic museum. They got some great exhibits. They're going to have a, a lot of fun things to do. Fun things to do. They're going to have a nighttime artillery display, which would be really cool. You could enter a contest, actually pull the lanyard, fire things, you fire yeah. on Harrisburg. Maybe we could sneak in some real artillery. Who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just give those people an art. Harrisburg a spook. But definitely check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely support them. Support your local museums, but especially the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg. It is a fantastic, fantastic place. So if you're in Gettysburg, Maryland, wherever, come, don't be shy. Come on up. Come say hello to us. Have a good time, and we will look forward to seeing you all at that time. All right, Mary, so why don't we jump off? Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay out of trouble for people here in the Northeast. Hopefully you can survive the Hurricane the Lee, invasion. which is rolling through here. No, but he is, uh, hopefully he'll be rolling through here He's pretty quickly. He's going to the right. He's going to the right. That's the plan. So, all right, everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Hope all is well, and we will talk to you all on the other side. See you all later. Bye. Peace out. Bye.